ready i'm ready i'm so ready we're doing it we're finally doing it the exciting conclusion yes yes i mean i don't know man <laughs> they might make a sixth one but the conclusion currently yeah for now this week's podcast episode is all about pirates of the caribbean the fifth installment dead man tell no tales that's it boom we're diving right in. Mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. there's like so much to talk about there's, here. There's a lot in, in other ways a little to talk about. Yeah, it's, it's a weird combo because it's like we have to treat it like it is the franchise ending, but like it might not be. But also how do we look at it as an individual film? Yes. While also comparing it to everything else that's come before it. It's a lot. It's a lot. So strap in, folks. It's going to be Tell a good me. one. I need to know. Yeah. When did you first see this movie? Oh, I actually did see this movie in theaters. I appear to have a better memory of it than I did with the fourth one. Um, I remember seeing... It was more recent, you know. Yeah, I remember they announced kind of like along the same time as Stranger Tides that they're like, oh, we're going to do a five and six. And we talked about this. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, this is the biggest gap between Pirates movies. You know, Stranger Tides, the fourth one came out in 2011 and this one came out in 2017. And it's basically, uh, yeah, it's a massive gap. And at this point, I was like, I remember when the marketing campaign kind of took over and you were seeing ads everywhere. And I remember just kind of being like, meh about it. Like, it's one of those things which this isn't a good mindset to be in where you're just kind of resigned to see it. Because you're like, I've already committed to, like, all the other installments with, you know, diminishing returns. But I Momentum. might as well. Momentum is a good reason to watch things. It's true. It's true. So, yeah, I remember seeing ads for it. I remember getting slightly annoyed because um, just based off the trailers, I was a little I was a little confused with canon and what they were what they were doing just based on the trailer and seeing Orlando Bloom as Will Turner, which we will get to in a second. But I I remember being a little annoyed because I saw the domestic trailer uh, in North America and then uh, they got spoiled for the international trailer where they already they had massive headlines because they they put Kira Knightley in the international trailer and I was like oh man I wish I had not known that she was going to be in this because that would have been such a wonderful surprise also considering she's like barely in it <laughs> I was just like damn I wish I wish they had kept that more under wraps but get for advertising why they did it so yeah i was aware of it i saw it in theaters i remember my reaction to it was this is a romp and it's cool that they're trying to bring back characters from the original trilogy but um at the end of the day it kind of felt the same way i did about the trailer which was meh 
And that makes me feel really bad because I feel like this was not an easy production, which no. we will talk about. Uh, but it was also one of those things where it's like, I think it just further emphasizes just what like lightning in a bottle the first one was and how this franchise has kind of taken a life of its own and it's really really hard to you know thread the needle to get back to what worked because obviously in Stranger Tides they're I feel like the the MO was like we're going back to basics we're paring down and in this one they're like okay we're trying to figure out like where's the kind of wild like adventure romp and the spirit and the comedy that we got from the first one, how can we kind of like reintroduce that, reinvigorate it with this one? Um, so I guess my initial reaction, I was like, eh. <laughs> I can see, it's one of those things where it's like, I can see what they're going for and I cannot, for the life of me, we were talking about this when we did this for the rewatch and prep for this podcast. I was like, it's just not working and I don't know why it's not working for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those films where it's like, if you were to pop it on, yeah, I would definitely sit down and watch it, but it's not something I would, like, immediately pick. It's it's a very nice, like, you know, escapist entertainment, but I didn't really think about it afterwards at yeah. all. What about you? I saw it in theater mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, you saw it with me. <laughs> I know. And, um, yeah, I, I feel similarly, you know. Mm-hmm. It was um, It was fine. It was it was fun in a theater. Yeah, it was nice. It was fun on the big screen for Some sure. Some of these things, uh, but I felt you know it was the worst one, and it was somewhat sloppily put together compared to some of the others, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, that to reiterate, I think what I said uh, when talking about the fourth one. Mm. In the end, it just feels tired. Yeah. And um, it feels like. It's a bit late, you know? Yeah, I think you've mentioned this in the last podcast where this one just feels like it's from another era. Like, don't get me wrong, the visual effects with, like, you know, the zombie sharks is really fun and and the effects going into it aren't bad. It just feels like they're coming from another era because the ideas at play aren't particularly fresh. Well, they're trying to recreate things about the the first one and the the trilogy in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Some of that, obviously, like, it doesn't work as well because it's just not done as well. Yeah. But there is probably something to be said for the idea as well, that even if it was done perfectly, it's something that was exciting in 2003. Yeah. Probably not as much in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I was trying to, um, I guess we should address who who came back. Um, because like with each installment, it's always a little bit different of who's in front of the camera, who's behind the camera. I mean, we can make the lovely running joke that like <laughs> Scrum is back, <laughs> which I completely forgot because clearly didn't have memory of the fourth one, which All is embarrassing. I'm usually better at that. But yeah, in front of the camera, obviously, uh, we have some returning players, which does make it kind of make the fourth one a little bit more of an odd man out. Um, because Scrum is the only character that gets carried over, I believe, from the fourth one, who mm. was not in the previous mm-hmm. original trilogy. Um, and uh, some things like, I don't know, the Blackbeard's sword yeah, that Barbosa yeah. has. I guess, I guess just I meant like in terms of, of characters, re- returning yeah. characters to the franchise. Scrum comes back. 
Barbosa now has Blackbeard's sword, has had it for a while. The Black Pearl is still in a bottle. Black Pearl is still in a bottle. Um, and then, obviously, from the original, original, we have Master Gibbs. Just oh, Always been there. He's got to always be there. And he's still great. He's you know? great. Knocking it out of the park. So, so he's consistent. In it. Um, a couple other crew members from the original trilogy, or at least uh, from two and three, are also back. Yeah. Um, Rigetti and Pintel are not back. Uh, but those other two. We do have the two former uh, British Navy soldiers from the first one who also popped up in the third one and turned pirate. They are still pirates and hang in with Barbosa's crew. Well, they only appear in the odd-numbered movies. They do. They do. It's. I don't know if that's a contract. <laughs> They'll be in seven one They'll day. Be, no, don't say that. Um, <laughs> obviously, Barbosa's back as well. I can't think of anybody else. Uh. You know, that, that mostly covers That's it. mainly I mean, it. you know, just other members of the crew are, are there. Yes, yeah. Um, um, can't remember all of them by name. But. Yeah, and of course our new characters is Henry Turner, who is the son of Will and oh. Elizabeth. Generations, and generations. Generations, yeah, we kept joking. We were calling this, like, Generations, Legacy, Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, that's what the subtitle should have been. Pirate Babies. Pirate Babies, I think, yeah. My vote was for Pirate Babies. I feel like that encompasses it right well, there. Well, that would work better if there was more than one, you know, if, if mm. you had a daughter as well or yeah. something. Mm. But then they couldn't fall in love. Exactly. Not that kind of movie. Exactly. Um, oh, I, I will take it back. We do also have... Although it is in his younger form and not played by him, technically speaking, the character that Keith Richards plays is also there. That's true. Yeah. Um, he was replaced with Paul McCartney in special appearances. Yes. Well, I do. I do love the running joke of like the the tale of you know Pirates of the Caribbean. Johnny Depp considered pirates to be like the rock stars of their day, so he was pulling inspiration from Keith Richards and among other people. And I love the running joke of, like, they got Keith Richards, and then for this one, another one of Jack's relatives is a Beatle. So it's like you got the Rolling Stone and the Beatles are, like, in the bloodline of of this rock star of a pirate. And that mm-hmm. makes me mm-hmm. laugh really hard. Completely forgot he was in it upon rewatch. It, it was got, a like, shock. Oddly excited. Uncle Jack, that's who he plays. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, so for new characters, we've got Henry. Uh, Uncle Jack, who is like literally in a scene, but he needs to be recognized, guys, because Paul McCartney can act. That Paul McCartney is here for some reason. Yeah, and it's great. But it was, it was worth it. It was really worth it. I think they got, you know, their money's worth with that one. And then uh, Karina is also the new. <laughs> Karina and Henry are our new breeding pair, um, and we will later discover spoilers, although it's not so subtle that she is. Uh, secretly, unbeknownst to her, the daughter of Barbosa. So again, pirates babies. <laughs> That's true. I mean, that does count as, as two. So yeah, you can use the plural. Thank you. I Good. shall. I shall. Um, and then obviously for our villain, we have Javier Bardem, who is they just do not deserve him. He's so freaking <laughs> fantastic and loving life. Making um, his customary appearances yes. the villain in a franchise. Yes, shocking, shocking. I it's like know. the special role that he plays and that, like, Mads Mikkelsen plays and yeah. various yeah. other actors. Yeah. They're all Bond villains at one point. They just drop in. It. Well, the funny thing is, speaking of Bond villains, I was reading up on the behind-the-scenes Christoph for this. Waltz. Christoph Waltz was originally supposed to be uh, cast as the villain, um, but he couldn't do it. Or he... Oh. Yeah. 
Were you just going to say, okay, yeah. Yeah, he was cast as the villain in this one. That was just my example of an actor like that. Yeah, but that's like they literally Amazing. got him for Amazing. that. So they got, I believe they got him or at least offered it to him because in the original script, Salazar is a very white bread name. Like he is, he's not Salazar. Sam. And then once they, I think it's like Thomas something. I don't know. I did a bad job of researching. He turned it all around. Turned it all around. Basically, he said no, so then he did. And then so Javier Bardem got it, and then they obviously changed the name and the origins of the bad guy. And uh, which is hilarious because apparently Javier Bardem really enjoyed hanging out on set on four because his wife Penelope Cruz was in it. And he's like, this is this looks like fun. And then they're like, hey, wait a second. You're an actor, too. He accepted even though he was their backup. It's very nice. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if he was their backup. It's just. You know, I don't know if they thought of him until somebody else got rejected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but anyway, yeah. So that is basically it. That's the new people. Oh, and, and there's that. um, I don't remember her name, but there's like the tattooed witch. Yes, yes, she's who's there. Buddies you know. with Barbosa, and I had to look this, or I I stumbled upon this when I was doing a little bit of uh, reading up on it. But apparently, she is canonically the the witch that Barbosa went to to put a curse on Blackbeard or like the prophecy of Blackbeard dying to a right. one-legged dude and so that's her didn't appear was mentioned in the fourth one finally appears in this one I figured they just needed a you know a Tia Dalma exposition witch yep basically they got basically. one they couldn't get the Tia Dalma exposition hut so they got they made the... sure it was a completely different design so you some... wouldn't be confused yeah that's true she definitely had some like Prince of Thieves like Robin Hood Prince of Thieves the witch vibe in her little dungeon by like throwing some rats and some cauldrons and stuff it's just standard witch behavior standard witch behavior yeah it's true so it's universal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah she was rocking it though mm-hmm. she, I think she was kind of rocking the, the shaved head look honestly I've seen her without the shaved head and I was like oh my gosh I recognized you by your brows, but you're doing great. So, yeah, that's basically it well, I uh, feel for the newbies. There's obviously, I've taken many notes about this movie, mm. but it feels like the best place to start is just by talking about um, Jack yes. Sparrow. Yeah, so my, oh, my however, earlier... Compl- Jack of the Sparrow Jack, or Jack, Jack the Sparrow. The Sparrow. <laughs> yeah, so my, my earlier complaint when telling you uh, about my experience of watching this for the first time and the rewatch of me being like, mm-hmm. why isn't it working? Like, I feel like all the elements are there. And your response, actually so, was because Jack's not right. Yes. Take it away, Camden. I will. Um, I mean, I think the biggest problem with the movie is Jack. It's not really close. Like, there are lots of other things that could be improved. But they're just, um, you know, things that affect individual parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he is fundamental, and um, it's just the first time. I can say this now that we've rewatched all of them. Mm. Uh, it's really the first time that Johnny Depp does not uh, quite do it right. Uh, I mean, I certainly uh, he's best in like the first movie. You yes. know, he he's like more cartoony. But looking back on it, I think that um, most of the changes in him and then the second, third, fourth movie, it's really just the writing, you know? It's, yeah. it's not like he's out there doing something completely different. They're just making him well, fall over more. They're and, also and writing like for him, keeping in yeah. mind that, like, the role wasn't written for him, and now he's popped as a character, so now they're going to, you know, do the greatest hits and bring him back and, and write for him. So he becomes more ridiculous, but he's essentially always himself. 
in this movie, he actually feels wrong. My main thing here is that the voice doesn't seem quite right, as if Johnny Depp remembered it differently than it actually is, sort of. Um, which is interesting to me, because I think other elements of the performance that aren't as good are more like things that could happen if you just, like, you know, weren't putting as much work into it or something. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's, it's sloppier. Yeah. But the voice itself is like, you know, that can only happen if you literally are clearly misremembering, you know, or, or you're trying to recapture it, but six-year break doesn't help. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And... His voice is, it's like, it's too high, mm-hmm. is, is the best way I could describe it. Um, I think it's its most evident evident in the very beginning, where you get his reintroduction. Yeah, um, well, because he's extra drunk Martin. in the, yeah. so it stands out even more, but you can, um, you can still tell it's there after that whole sequence is over. Mm-hmm. I would say possibly as well, um, given the big break and all that, mm-hmm. that, you know, Johnny Depp plays a lot of other silly people. And he was probably trying to channel Silly Jack and ended up accidentally channeling <laughs> part of something else or mm-hmm. something as far as the voice goes because it's just like, um, it's certainly a wacky character, but it's not exactly Jack. Um, and you can easily see that he's sort of going for, you know, oh, this guy's silly. Yeah. Um, which does come off, but he's not. it's like he's not going for Jack specifically. It's like some sort of more generic... And I will pull out the line you used here, hmm. like Halloween costume version of Jack, of Jack or something. Yeah. yeah. Where um, it feels almost like an imitation. Yeah, someone someone's trying to be him really hard, um, but it's not coming naturally. And I think it came very naturally in all the others, even if they got more cartoony. Yeah, even if Jack was better or worse at different times. Yeah, um, Jack. It's. I mean, I think it's it's not a hot take here. I think it's safe to say that Jack gets less nuanced as the as the movies go. But it feels like I don't know if it, like you said, it's because it's the biggest gap between movies. Yeah. Um, or the fact that it was a very troubled production that we won't get too deep into. But basically, what it boils down to is he's having lots of personal legal problems. Yes. And then he also got hurt on set and delayed yeah. everything and the most significant uh like literally uh odd thing occurring on the set is mm. is that johnny is getting his lines fed to him through an earpiece through an earpiece apparently yeah. um which presumably he wasn't doing on the other movies yes. but who knows yeah. uh, so there's a lot of reports circling around the performance and how difficult it was with delays because of him and I wouldn't say it's it's not like if you're watching that it looks like he's waiting for his lines or anything. You know, he's yeah. he's obviously he's better than that. <laughs> but I'm sure that affects it just because it essentially means that you're going into the scene thinking, I don't have it completely down. Yeah. <laughs> like which and it you can't inspire a lot of confidence. Yeah, you, you can't you know plan out um like exactly what you're thinking of doing mm-hmm. if um you're not even completely sure what happens you mm. don't quite have it all in your head yeah. but um i would just say he seems completely at home with a character up through four and to the extent that you could watch four and think maybe it's almost a downside of this is that he could do it in his sleep mm. oddly enough thinking that going into five and finding out i guess you can't do it in his sleep you know yeah. this actually does take a lot of effort mm-hmm. and whatever effort that was, was some of there. it is missing yeah. yeah and um so the voice bugs me but um I mean, the writing doesn't do a lot of favors. They try to make Jack more of the side character again in this movie. But yeah. I think that the re- the work. way they do that is really just by making him feel kind of irrelevant half the time. Yeah, I think that's what uh, the point I wanted to make is 
I think on terms of spectacle, obviously five has a lot more going for it than four, just because the story is like... It's bigger. Bigger. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. But, I mean, like you said, to say like, oh, the the movie's not working. Why isn't the movie working? Whereas like Stranger Tides, I suppose you could argue it's boring, but at the very least, like Jack's more or less there. And you don't realize like what an essential piece of the puzzle he is when he stops working in a, as effectively as he probably did in other installments. And so like pulling out the, the behind the scenes stuff with the performance, we're just looking at how Jack functions as a character within this particular story. I think you're absolutely right. He doesn't feel very essential until like Salazar gets activated. Mm-hmm. And he's, I think that's, like, the point they're trying to make in the script is, like, oh, he, I mean, it's kind of almost like a meta joke of, like, oh, he's, like, old and tired. Like, yeah. he's really, bad luck is following him everywhere. Nothing is going right for him. People don't believe him when he says that he's Jack Sparrow. He can't even, like, properly, like, steal anything on land, let mm-hmm. alone on a ship, because for some reason he doesn't have a ship. I would say it's, it's unfortunate. It's not a bad idea, inherently, to mm-hmm. do old, tired, hero in fact uh given that it's the fifth movie it's kind of it's logical to take yeah. a self-aware stance to be like we are feeling tired mm. but it's very unfortunate to try something like that and then have it paired with you know clearly the worst performance of the actor mm. because then how can the audience not think like i know it's the plot but it feels like it's just that people weren't you know invested in the movie basically yeah and um if they, I don't know what would be worse, you know, if it would be if he was written as well as in the first movie, but mm-hmm. you were getting this performance, would it be more disappointing? Because you'd be like, this should be good. Yeah. In this case, you're kind of like he's he's not delivering as you would like him to, but at yeah. the same time, like even if he did, it, the results the wouldn't be that inspiring. That yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would still kind of be like, oh, this is a bit sad. Yeah. I um, think it's interesting if you think about it. And this might come across as a little too harsh, but, like, Jack's compass is essentially more important than Jack in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that it's just attached to him, and and I appreciate that they're trying to go into the backstory of Jack. And we'll get on to canon con- conflicts in just a mm-hmm. bit. But, um, yeah, it, I'm like, I understand that, like, there's a pirate who's undead, who's mad at Jack, and is after him. But, honestly, it doesn't really... It it feels like, oh, we're all going for the MacGuffin, but I don't understand Jack's role and why he wants the MacGuffin. If you consider that in Dead Man's Chest, the plot is also about uh, someone who's trying to find Jack across the sea. Yeah. In fact, also features the plot point that they can't go on land. Yes. Um, It's definitely noticeable that in that movie, it feels like he is desperately running away from something. Yeah. In this movie, it feels like it's sort of here or there. Mm -hmm. Like... It's not that big of a deal. It's almost like he's just along for the ride, which works in in some capacities, but not for this particular story because it feels oddly disjointed and not as fleshed out. Because obviously in in the first movie, like, he is along for the ride and he is spurring it on and he is, you know, designed as a side character who just kind of stole the show. But in this one, it's like, well, if we're going to, you know, give him material, but also try and push other characters to the forefront so he has more people to play off of i feel like they didn't get the ratio right or something Mm -hmm. because he doesn't feel like barbosa feels more essential than jack like barbosa has more invest in the most the plot is actually about him 
Barbosa has more emotional investment. The plot, like you said, it's actually about him. Yeah. Uh, my, my final word on Jack would be that I defend him a lot in the... Uh, Earlier. Every other movie, you know, yeah. lots of people thought he was bad as soon as a Dead Man's Chest hit, basically. Um, but I think that in this movie, he basically is everything that the haters <laughs> say he is yeah. in 2, 3, 4, and 5. Yeah. Um, like, I see what they were seeing the whole time, mm-hmm. basically. And um, it's just sad because, you know, there will be scenes where you think like this this is sort of a classic pirates type scene Mm -hmm. and it's not even necessarily bad you know it might still kind of work but you're like this would just sing if it was you know done in the first movie yeah or something like that i think that's um, ultimately at the end of the day is everything feels a little tired in the sense of like this scene should be working but i've seen a similar scene to it in previous installments and it worked better then because it was fresh then We'll talk about, though, the fact that I do think there are individual scenes uh, where he works better mm. and where some of that spark kind of comes out more. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's completely hopeless. Um, and also, there are lots of scenes that he's in you know, with a bunch of other people, and they all are working better yes. than he does, and they kind of make up for it. Elevates it, yeah. But uh, the the more it's like, you know, if he's one-on-one or if he's by himself, I think is where you really get into dangerous territory of, like, it's not that compelling. Yeah. Um, unless other characters are around mm-hmm. to pick up the slack. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess to put a pen in anything else that we're going to say, just very quickly on the production, if you look at Stranger Tides, came out in 2011, mm-hmm. and like you had mentioned, they'd kind of announced the, around the same time that, like, oh, we're going to do... This isn't the last one. This yeah. isn't the last one, guys. <laughs> we're we're kind of doing, like, a soft reboot. There's going to be five and six. And at one point, you know, after four happens, they tell a lot of the the cast members of four like keep your schedules open because the tentative plan was let's shoot five and six back to back kind of like we did with you know two and three Mm -hmm. and then there's delays and then there's delays and then you know there there was um a question of like who's going to direct is it going to be rob marshall again from the fourth one should we bring back gore verbinski and then there's a bunch of other you know front runners for the directing role and then finally it goes to a new directing team uh i think they're norwegian uh and they were really excited to come on board and then they were trying to figure out the script and the script took a really long time and it got rejected and it just there were lots of delays and and a lot of, I think, eyes on the script and what the story wanted to be. And then there was a question of who was coming back and who wasn't. So it's all convoluted, not to say like the people that don't appear in the film weren't asked, but like some of them either were asked and declined or some of them were like, oh, I'd like to come back, but weren't asked. So it's that combined with actual onset production issues. coupled with I believe like when fans found out that Orlando Bloom was coming back and he popped up on set mm-hmm. I think people were like well we it just makes sense he needs to be reunited with Elizabeth so they literally did a one day shoot in London just to get Kira Knightley in there like it, it feels a little bit more like slapdash and on top of all the competition of like who's going to be filling all of these roles there's not a lot of crew returning except for like a costume design and a couple other departments mm-hmm. but not a lot so you have all of that and then you have it all shot in Australia 
with a few other pickups elsewhere. And it's just, they're trying to keep the budget down Mm -hmm. and keep the spectacle big and trying to have like a throwback to the original. And yet all like the, the special mix of ingredients that produced the first one is not there for the production of this one. It's definitely the most uh, disconnected yes. of them all, e- even though in some ways it's attempting in story to mm-hmm. be closer than the fourth one was to yes. the others. Because, uh, you know, for the first time, like Hans Zimmer isn't doing the music and the... Um, Since the first one, technically speaking. Yeah, that's true. I'm, in terms he, of credit, I guess. But he, you know, he did work on it. And, yeah. Um, also, uh, we noticed the, the writing, you mm-hmm. know, like the original guy... There's are, a, there's are a there, but there writing are other partner, people. but one of them is there. He yeah. did the story. His script gets rejected. They hire other script writers. Like, it's a process. It's so, a big machine trying to turn this thing out. Yeah. It's farther away. You know, looking at it behind the scenes, it's it's much more like an attempt by a bunch of new people to recreate yes. the idea of pirates than it is actually the people who made it yeah. originally doing it, even though um, it's not completely disconnected. Yeah. And sometimes that can work for franchises. It just didn't work for this one, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say, so speaking of reconnecting things back to the original trilogy and honestly back to the first movie, um, the thing that threw me, and this is so stupid because in the grand scheme of things, it's not important if you decide to retcon canon in a franchise yeah. just to make the story work. And that uh, is, I think it's probably more likely to happen yes. when you're hitting the point where your newest movie is 14 years yes. after the first one because they're just thinking, like, people it's, probably won't even notice. Yeah, it's also the shortest runtime of all the movies, mm-hmm. which is crazy because it does not feel like that. Um, but I will yeah. say, obviously, with the the idea of kind of like having legacy characters and bringing back Will and Elizabeth and then kind of passing the torch on to their son, Henry, um, and then also passing the torch from like Barbosa to his daughter, Karina, and, and having Jack kind of be like the old wily mentor that, you know, went on romps with, with their parents. Um, like the concept is interesting, but like the whole... Thing with Will and Elizabeth not returning for the fourth one is because their story is basically complete by the end of three. There's not much more they can give. And I know we talked about this in the At World's End podcast, but there is some confusion about how the, the curse of the Flying Dutchman works. But, you but know. we basically boiled it down to, thanks to different sources from like the DVD and the behind the <laughs> scenes for the third one, is Will will be the captain of the Flying Dutchman, taking over for Davy Jones. And when he becomes the Flying Dutchman's captain in the third one, like, the ship is kind of like it's a rebirth scene. Like, everybody's more or less back to normal. They're looking human in the crew. And, like, the ship has kind of gotten all that gross, icky seaweed barnacle stuff off of it. And based off a scene, like, Bill Nye, bless him, getting to actually be human for a couple seconds in the third one, The way the curse seems to work is if you actually do a good job as the Flying Dutchman's captain and your job is to ferry souls of the dead across to the next, you know, to the deadlands on sea, then you won't get your barnacly ass face up in there. Like the, everybody will more or less look human and clean and (laughs) not like they're becoming part of the ship, part Mm -hmm. of the crew. Um... And so when the trailers for this one dropped, you see Will, and he's got, you know, the barnacle, like, the stuff is starting Mm -hmm. to pop up on his face. And I remember just being genuinely confused, because I'm like, 
the whole thing is is like the curse more or less of the of you know the physical manifestation of being part of a crew of the flying dutchman although the curse of of serving is still there the fact that if you do it well this won't happen is completely retconned mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like will apparently i don't i would you would assume he's they might not just not have job. told us that will is really bad at his job yeah or and that's the only con- unless they're retconning canon i guess this rambling rant is basically either he's not doing a very good job because he's getting barnacle faced and the flying dutchman has now seen better days closer to when it was like under the control of davy jones or they're like visually this is really cool and also the curse is confusing so like whatever but the whole thing is is like captain of flying dutchman you sail for 10 years one day after every 10 years you get to step on land Mm -hmm. and i believe in like the one iteration of it is like if the woman that you love or whoever that you love is faithful to you after those 10 years you step on land like the curse is broken yeah it seems like is perhaps temporary yes and this movie definitely treats it like it's not yes temporary and that was the whole thing with the post credit scene of the third one is you see little henry who we didn't know as henry he's 10 years old it's 10 years later and will has returned from the flying dutchman to see his family and you could read that as one really special day he's doing a great job 10 years later or you can see it as the curse is broken he's going to be reunited with his family and this one it's like just ignore all that guys the real only possible thing you can take from this is elizabeth was not faithful yeah and therefore which is just a whole lot of bullshit everything was ruined (laughs) yeah but even if that's the case like that doesn't automatically mean he's getting barnacle face you know like that is the case that means it's really nice of him to just so graciously accept her at the end of this movie yeah yeah but that's just not a thing i have to say he's just he's not even that barnacly I know. He seemed so miserable about it, and I just thought, like, come on, buddy. I know. You can still see your face. Exactly. Are you telling me you don't just pop up in that cove and, like, have long-distance shout chats with each other? Like... Yeah, I was always a little confused about that, too. Yeah. Like, couldn't you just... If you have a break from ferrying the souls of the dead at sea, like, go see your wife and just, like, wave from... It's always also unclear to me why uh, she can't just, like, visit and go on board the ship. I think because you have to be dead, but that doesn't seem... That's not true. Right, because (laughs) in the third one, like, Will is, like been press ganged into it and he's not dead he's neither dead nor dying i get that like they eventually have to go back underwater and all that yeah but uh, it just seems like she could come on board for a few hours yeah honestly but anyway the curse never made sense but we more or less got it into a framework of like okay if x happens then y will happen and then in and this one it's like that's just completely out the window Mm -hmm. and you're like i don't i don't even understand and and in theory because he's not in it for very long it doesn't it shouldn't really matter it is however frustrating because you're like well if we're retconning that what else are we retconning well, it's to make the also story work? i mean it's the entire plot yeah it's, it's he's not in it much but it's it's the plot it's the entire motivation <laughs> of the main character his son is to break his father's curse yeah so you're like wait maybe we should have a better understanding of how the curse works because based off of the previous iterations we thought it was this and now you're telling us like no the rules of that game are completely gone it's all being controlled yes. by a magical trident yes. that uh, was never previously mentioned no. but has always been there yeah doing his thing i'm sure you would like to talk about the other retcon with the compass yes okay so here's the thing <laughs> we were talking about this so the way it works in this movie Jack has a compass. It's the, you know, magical compass that points whatever you want most in the world. And it's also the key where if he ever gives it away, quote unquote, betrays it, 
that's going to be the the thing that unlocks Salazar and his crew from the Devil's Triangle and unleash them onto the sea. And, like, that's what happens, right? And so, in a flashback sequence, you see how a young Jack the Sparrow entrapped them in the first place and how mm-hmm. he got his name. And I have a whole other rant about that as well. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But just a focus on the compass. He inherits the compass from the captain of that ship who dies and in the midst of the battle against Salazar, right? And so then you have to be like, oh, so he didn't get it from Tia Dama, which is made very clear in two that she's like, what happened to that compass that I gave you? It's not pointing. She's like, oh, Jack Sparrow doesn't know what he wants. Like, they make a big deal about the fact that, like, she gave him a compass. They have a prior established relationship. And now that's no longer the case. Well, uh, Tia Dama was uh, using a magic to appear as that man yes, on the ship. Yes, yes. Yeah, and let's, then she let's gave it to him. And away. then she swam away. Or, or remind me again, what exactly is she... Um, She's, she's like the god. She's, she's Calypso. She's like a goddess of the like sea. She's the goddess of the sea. So perhaps she means like metaphorically uh, the sea no. caused this battle and no. brought Jack the compass. I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't no. buy it. No. But the other thing is we had to talk about, again, this is another thing with canon and rules and how sometimes it's very, very convoluted in this franchise and it's over, under explained. But in this particular instance, we're like, okay, what qualifies as him betraying the compass? Is it literally him just handing it over to someone? Because he's already done that in two and three. That he, or is it he, he literally it away, trading it? Which does sort of imply that he's he's saying like, I, it is I'm no longer in up. my possession. Yes. But as long as he quote unquote thinks about, oh, this person can just borrow it, then it's fine. I can sort of see the distinction. At least the idea of a, a transaction yes. gives it some sort of legitimacy. Yeah. Uh, not that it really it makes much sense anyway, because why exactly is his compass given to him by this piratey captain mm-hmm. uh, relevant to the completely other ship yes. that was trapped? It's not like Salazar gave Jack the compass. Yeah, you know? it's weird. Like, what's, It's a very tenuous connection between, like, this is the key that unlocks these pirates, yes. but it has no correlation to these pirates. Well, to once again say that this is very similar to the second movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very straightforward reason for why Davy Jones is mad at him yeah. in that one. Yeah. And it's uh, less straightforward here. And the reason it's straightforward there is because it's to do with a bargain that the two of them literally made together. Yes. Harder to make it work in this one when there Jack isn't. has never actually met Salazar, only, you know, Shouting seen at him, him from, from afar yeah. on a ship. Um, I will say I forgot that that was part of the plot and is the positive point is that I think the idea of Salazar as actually being you know, not a pirate yeah, and you know now he's all twisted and revengey is a pretty good idea yeah. for a new villain. type of villain. You know, it's not the same thing as having like, um, I forgot his name, Tom Hollander, mm-hmm. um, who is of course not a pirate, but still, you know, his goal is like to conquer the sea. He's um, also it's, it's interesting to have someone like Salazar whose goal is not actually power it's literally just the revenge thing yeah i feel like you you have kind of these these players that are always on the board in pirates movies you have like our good guy pirates Mm -hmm. you have the british navy in some capacity whether it's through the east india trading company or legitimately just them basically the dudes in red coats and tricorn hats and then you have like maybe another bad pirate or competing pirate and or a supernatural element that's the main main villain and you have that, you know, in three and to an extent 
four. But in this one, um, we do have Faramir as our as British Tyrion. Navy guy, even though he's in it for not as, as our, our longer than I thought. But he's basically like our our D level Norrington. He's he's in it a surprising amount. Yeah. He's in it enough that it becomes surprising the opposite direction that he suddenly is instantly not in it. Yes. Uh, it's like it seems like he should have had less scenes if they were going to so unceremoniously kill him. Kill him yeah. As if they were saying we don't actually need these guys on the board. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure why they're here. Yeah, uh, I think they're just there to honestly get Jack and the two the the breeding pair together before they can go off on their adventure. Yeah. Like they all have to be entangled with the law that he's presiding over for them to escape it. That's just why it's surprising that that he has as many scenes even like exactly. after the intro. It's yeah. A bit yeah strange so yeah but anyway i was gonna say that um since we're already here and talking about jack um the flashback. and the flashback um they do de-aging technology i'm assuming they did that maybe and don't quote me on this i didn't really dig into this too much but de-aging technology probably coupled with like a stand-in and some cgi face work on that and then also, fun fact, there is definitely a de-aging or a stand-in who looks very, very similar to a young Keith Richards, which I thought mm. was actually kind of fun. But um, I think this harps more for me than for you. I don't. I think it's, it's incredibly hard with the technology that we currently have. No matter how big and bombastic and crazy and imaginative you can go with CGI and de-aging, it is so incredibly hard to get a human face without it hitting the uncanny valley. And I'm not to say that this de-aging for Jack is as bad as some other de-aging ones that I've seen, but like Jack is such an incredibly expressive character, and I think the problem with de-aging and or CGI characters that are human, the eyes are never right. And it's mm-hmm. almost made ten times worse when you have a character who expresses so much in the face and with the eyes. I think that the eyes are actually particularly not right be- because they're closer than any other part. Yeah. Um, the rest of it kind of seems like like a younger guy, mm-hmm. and then the eyes are just like literally look like Johnny Depp's eyes mm-hmm. plastered onto it. Yeah. Um, and that's why it looks weird, is yes. because it's like this this doesn't belong here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone is has convincingly done that Not yet. yet. Not Although anymore. obviously they keep getting better, but yes. that means that you know, looking I three years maybe, back, yeah. Um, it's you know even more noticeable there. that it yeah. looks worse than than something that was released right now that well, would Well, I would that. say, like, probably the closest that you've got is probably the the Blade Runner sequel, but they oh, took yes, them yes. so long to work on it, and they specifically did it where it's only... Spoilers, guys, sorry. Only a couple of seconds, and they have it lit, so it's, like, it's dark. Like, they worked incredibly hard on that sequence to get it right. And not to say that they didn't work incredibly hard on this sequence to get it right, but, like, this sequence is... It's a whole action sequence... And they do have him shot at a distance, which was smart for some of it. But, like, it's a big emotional moment, and you're Mm -hmm. depending on a de-aging CGI character to pull it off as a human. And that's the other thing, is the big emotional moment is literally the moment where, like, he becomes Jack Sparrow. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to tell you this, but I was saving it for the podcast. I feel that that moment (laughs) is very, very similar to the concept of, like, the solo story for the Star Wars anthologies. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, did you want to know the origins of him? Do you want to know how he got his last name? And you're like, wait, this wasn't his last name? They're like, oh, they just named him that. And you're like, okay. It's kind of funny to uh, to try to do something like that in the same movie. You're, 
you're sidelining Jack more than ever. Yeah. Like, the audience doesn't want Jack to be the main character. But also, this is the movie where, where we should really dig into, into the lore. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, then on top of that, you have that weird naming convention where they're like, oh, you didn't know this, but, like, Jack Sparrow is just a form of his nickname, Jack the Sparrow, because Jack he's fluttering and taunting. And you're like, what the well, fuck? Well, I thought that that was just the weird thing that Salazar calls him for some reason. Yeah. And everyone else was like, drop the D, it's cleaner. You know, yes, exactly. Say. Make it better. Um, but the other thing is, in that moment when he defeats Salazar, they give him tribute, which is basically like, I joked, it's basically the costume department <laughs> giving him his iconic wardrobe. And you think about that, and you're like, okay, I get the moment, the emotional moment of like, he's been, you know, rechristened as Jack Sparrow, and he gets everything that makes him iconic visually all at once. And that you should feel something in that moment. But for me... I'm like, I don't feel that because I don't know if it's just because I have I got too invested at a young age when the first one came out and everybody was so intrigued with how Johnny Depp helped, you know, create the character. But he's like, oh yeah, all these little weird wardrobe knickknack things, they're just from his travels that he picked up along the way, kind of like rock stars do when they're on tour. And then it's like, oh, but he got it all at once from these pirates and he managed to make it work and make it look really good and it's all just from this one moment and it's odd to me because then you're like it takes away the mystique of this pirate who's traveled everywhere and collected all these odd bits and bobs Mm -hmm. and he just got it all at once and he's never ever done like he's never changed his look and it feels very similar to the solo story with getting the new like last name and then also being like, you know, there's all those cool, iconic things that's associated with him that makes him this character. Well, he did it in a week. And it's the same with this. It's like, and he did it in a less than a day. And then lo and behold, he's just been frozen in time like that. Mm-hmm. And it just, it undermines the character and kind of the the adventurous spirit behind it to be like, all this happened in this one short, contained sense, like, period of time. I suppose... I don't have as much of a problem with the idea of it uh, as much as the execution. Yeah. Um, just because, like, with the, the name thing, um, I it's not that I assumed it wasn't a real name. Mm. It's just that when they say, like, that's how he got his name. Yeah. In my head, it rang as, like, sure. Because it- I think I, as soon as they said it, I thought, like, yeah, it makes sense. It's probably a nickname. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't think of it like, like, I can't believe they're, you know, they're finally trying to add us. another, yeah. another thing. And I just thought of it like, oh, seems reasonable, you know, you know, it's not like Barbosa where it's like, just sounds like a real name. It's like, that is kind of a, you know, Jack Sparrow, it's kind of a weird name, sure. Yeah. Um, and I guess I do feel that there are also lots of, um, random things he references throughout his time, um, mm-hmm. that, that means that watching the scene doesn't make me feel like uh you know they they took all of his lore and stuffed it into one scene because i still feel like his whole legacy is more that he apparently had all these crazy adventures that you know yeah who knows what went on there like when he talks about hanging around nuns and stuff like Mm -hmm. that but um yeah yeah uh i i think given that he has the costume and everything and that it you know it looks like his costume it looks like him it really rams home the idea that um that this could easily be done with just a, a different actor mm. and no need for all this and to be honest i mean i'm sure it's it's showing off to a certain extent it is i mean disney again right and yes they're the ones who have really been pushing this in lots of their different franchises i think 
and I think every single time I've ever done it, it's felt like showing off or like an attempt to, to wow. Yeah. And it always kind of takes you out of it because you don't You're think... like, it's not there yet. Yeah, you think like, oh, I see, this is the showcase sequence yeah. or something. But um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shame because this is the kind of thing where you could easily imagine if it was done well, mm-hmm. um, people being enjoying talking about it you know coming out of the movie being like oh it, you know they got some actor and like wow he you know he nailed he it really like, did, totally yeah. felt like johnny depp there or something and that that's the kind of thing that can be really fun i think but the, the easy way out i suppose is just to not even try to do that and just to be like we just sort of frankenstein together you know yes. some this version of of him yeah. instead i think it's one of those things where and this is just like a, a whole other point that's completely off from the Pirates franchise it's just movies in general of being like you want an origin story and you're like sure they're like we're going to tell you things that you didn't even know that you had to think about and you're like I didn't need it though we're to introduce more it doesn't, questions it doesn't enrich any of the material that came before it to yeah. me if anything there's a really good chance that it will lessen it it does feel like there's also an attempt to counteract the characterization of Jack as really old and tired and drunk mm-hmm. in this movie by giving him a moment where you get He's to like see him be heroic the you know, in, in the past. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't quite as satisfying as they probably want it to be, but you can see that's probably part of the desire to include it. Yeah. The feeling that it will allow you to see different sides of him mm-hmm. and, and be reassured that, you know, there is hope for him to still have that glory. Have some kind of yeah. heroic success here yeah yeah i suppose other characters we should talk about because we talked a little bit about salazar already talk about our our couple here yeah so i my my uh (laughs) i feel bad i feel like i'm just complaining so henry turner is like just a watered down version of will and i was joking because i'm like he's got the sincerity he's kind of got the the stargazed like oh my god i saw her ankles like and and just the, the passion and the commitment and the earnestness that is there with Will. And I'm like, I wish we got a little bit more Elizabeth in his characterization. Mm-hmm. Which, I, I mean, technically, I guess you, you could point to um, him when he's a kid in the beginning of the movie. He's supposed to be, I believe, 12 years old. So two years since we've seen, you know, the green light flash at the end of the post-credits for three. And uh, he's obsessed with pirates, specifically Jack. But it's, you know, with the benefit of trying to... Uh, break the curse that his father's under so it's like oh yeah elizabeth's like a little pirate fangirl and he's kind of also become a little bit pirate fanboy is really into like myths and legends of the sea all in the pursuit of freeing his dad so it's very will focused which makes sense because i don't think they were originally planning on bringing back here nightly well you need the elizabeth traits for for the female lead yes i thought that her intro was very like this is our elizabeth character you Mm -hmm. know which i guess is distinguished from will as because they're both kind of feisty you know yeah but the main thing i think is more that she's the the wittier one you yeah know? just like elizabeth is generally the wittier one yeah she's supposed to be like the smarter character yes. it's basically. funny because then they were developing they're like we we're making sure she's very different from elizabeth swan like she's in just science you know she doesn't believe that is, in that's all this kind stuff. of a fun trait and you're like that is fun except it, it does you know when they say that it does feel like almost like an expansion and extension of like you know, Elizabeth's one of her more famous lines in the first one. She's like, I don't believe in ghost stories. Just not not even just in terms of the Elizabeth type character, but mm. in, in general, there isn't really a character like that in the whole series. Yeah, which is exciting. So it is kind of fun. But um, I just think it's mostly when they really get into, like, the two of them bantering and stuff. Yes. It's like, yeah, this is just, like, the first movie, but, yeah. you know, not as 
not as fresh. Yes, agreed. Um, it's it's kind of tricky sometimes. You feel bad because uh, actually, acting is good. The um, writing is not always it's not bad or anything. Yeah. Some I find myself watching some of those and thinking this is actually you know fairly witty. Yes. It's just that I cannot watch it and not think like yeah I get what they're trying to do. Because it's I get been what kind of dynamic they're, they're trying to establish, and so someone will deliver a perfectly good line, and you almost roll your eyes and think like, right, like the witty repartee because they're in love. It feels perfunctory. Blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. you know, as soon as they meet, you're like, oh, this is our breeding pair. They're going to end up together. Um, and it, it's not to say that they they try and mix it up with like what at least Karina is interested in, where she's like, mm-hmm. I'm into science and astrology, and that does. Even though it's She's juvenile. a horologist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the horologist joke makes me laugh every time. There's always something in there. There's for... always, you know, there's there's some fun, like, sexual in, innuendo in there. But um, I, I think they're, they're characters that are, I think, too... I mean, that, that's very Elizabeth, too, because yeah. a lot of her jokes in the first movie involve, you know, basically her out outwitting or... or using fancier language than like the pirates yes. who who are kind of brutish, disinclined obviously. to acquiesce your request. Yeah. yeah, I mean there's contrast in the first movie with the fact that Barbosa can match that. Yes. But it's definitely a very similar type of joke that all yeah. the, the pirates are are entertaining because they're kind of you know, it's Sweet like a it's dumb. like a crass joke, but the joke comes from the fact that they're they misinterpret idiots. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um I do think that she has the, like <laughs> Jeffrey Rush does not need to be acting as well as he is in that one scene with her where it's made abundantly clear that he is her father where he's like what's your name lass and she tells him and like just the way he's delivering lines where she's like oh so you know about the stars he's like I'm a captain and you're just like oh oh he's feeling it you it's, know it's nice because it's a good dynamic. I mean obviously there's not that much subtle writing throughout no. the movie and it's nice that they they don't underline that stuff that much. They they know you're gonna get it. Yeah. And they kind of let you take it. E- even in the end, you know when he. Yeah, when I mean, in dies. the end, they they make a point of I forgot in the moment why they did this, where they're fighting on the ship, and he gets cut on the arm, and yeah, they like yeah. make a point of showing you. I was like, oh, why do they show that again? And it's so that his sleeves ripped. So later down the line, when he's holding on to her, she can see the tattoo and figure it out. It's it's um. A pleasant surprise, I guess, that they're able to do both those scenes, and particularly that scene, um, without having to really use a lot of expository dialogue or anything. You know, she just sees it, and, and you're it like, out. right, we get it, she knows. She's now up to speed with the The audience. downside of that, I guess, is that uh, it gets so muted that, like, I was wondering uh, when, when they all get back up and they're safe, and uh, and Henry's like, are you all right? It's like he's asking, because your father just died, except, like, I don't Does know he how know he that? would know. Yeah, exactly. It's like they made it so, they played it so much like, we get it, you already know, audience, that they forgot that all the characters don't actually know. Mm-hmm. And then she, immediately afterwards, you know, she says her name's Barbosa, which yeah. really should probably be, like, the reveal, but it's yeah. like, he already knows. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Or does he? Because he watched the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is our, our running joke of, it's like, an, I just keep referencing all other movies to this one. I'm really sorry, but like, it's like the, the ending of Rise of Skywalker, the last name joke where you're like, yes, this should have an impact. And you're like, it doesn't though. Ray Barbosa. Ray Barbosa. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think you get the, It's more impactful in this movie. You get the intention behind it in this one in the sense of like, 
she's very obsessed with her father and you know the legacy of her father and and it, it she kind of has will elements of that being like i have a very specific idea of like what my father was when he was alive and it's like huh, surprise yeah. he's a pirate parallels you know why yeah. did you why did you turn pirate i'm just enjoying the fact that i've never imagined this sentence being said but you could watch the end of rise of skywalker mm. and say to yourself well dead man Dead Men Tell No Tales did it better. Yeah, so. that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> but it's true because, like, you, you get more the attempt of why why they're trying to pull off that line, even though it's... it's and you said there's more of a... Definitely more of a cheese factor in this one. Well, yeah, and, and with Barbosa, first of all, Jeffrey Rush, you know, being good again, as he always is. Yes. And the fact that it actually kind of focuses on him, which is nice because it's they kill him. Like, it's, it's nice that he gets to... Um, you could you could still kill him without doing that, you know. Yes. You could just be like, let's throw a noble sacrifice in there or something. Yeah. But they actually built the whole thing around it. It almost feels like an awareness that um, coming off Stranger Tides and stuff, yeah. where they used him a lot too. Uh, like we know that some people probably think Jack is too much, but you know who's basically always worked as Barbosa, yeah. and like why don't we sort of pay tribute to that? And unfortunately, not quite as effective as it might be like if it had been done. A while ago, just because even Barbosa, you know, feels a little diluted at this point. Yeah. Not Jeffrey Rush's fault. I mean, but he's, like... he's always felt. I mean, this just goes across the board for the characters of Jack and Barbosa. They've always felt cuddlier. Yeah. Beyond the first one, and that's bound to happen in particular for Barbosa because he's no longer a villain, a straight-up villain. He's an ally. But it is, it is satisfying. Like it's satisfying that you can look at all these five movies mm-hmm. and think like this one character, like they basically did right by him. Yes. The whole time, and he even got to end. You know, if they make more, he won't even have to get sucked in. Like yeah. they actually did it. Yeah. He's he's done. There is a funny joke though, or uh, not a joke. Someone mentioned that Johnny Depp's final line in this one is Jack, as he says, "I have a rendezvous." beyond my like beloved horizon or whatever mm-hmm. and some people are like oh my gosh beyond the horizon are they gonna you gonna know, get him back world's end and get him back and i was like guys we have to let some deaths actually be permanent and that leads me to my next thing which is you know an extension of the rant that i made earlier about orlando bloom and and davy jones curse mm. and oh, Lion dutchman yes. and all that so the <laughs> macguffin of this movie is the trident and there's like a little thing about like the sea divides and you're just like, what is this? And they're like, oh, we figured it out. And you're like, yeah, you just break the trident. But the the, the concept <laughs> is Poseidon's trident can rule the seas, but it also it holds all the curses, all the sea curses inside it is, of it. it. Is. So if you break it, you break all the curses that are inside of it. Right? And so then you have a post-credit scene where you have Orlando Bloom looking like an adorable puppy having a nightmare about yours truly, Davy Jones. But Davy Jones, again, is in, like, crab claw, octopus, barnacle mm-hmm. uniform. Yeah. So. That's what he is. That's what he is. And you're like, oh, okay, this is cool, but I'm, this can't be real because, like, all the curses are broken. So, like. But it is real, maybe. But it might be real, but you're like, but if it was, if the curses were broken, he wouldn't come to him in this form. And he also still wouldn't be alive. Like, That's why it's a teaser. Yeah, but they're 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 setting it up as a teaser for the next installment. Because it You're doesn't like, make sense. It literally doesn't make sense. You're supposed though. to be asking, how can that be? And then they're going to explain it. Well, to they're you. saying, well, they're saying like, oh, it's because you know the all the curses of the sea are broken. And I was like, was his death cursed? And now that the curse is lifted, he's no longer dead. 
what's going on here? It's just all very unclear. But it's all unclear, and it's one of those things where they're like, <laughs> they're like teasing it in a way of being like, oh, people will want to know. But you're like, no, this is just confusing. <laughs> no one wants to know. No one wants to know. Though we always want more Bill Nye. I was very amused by this uh, climactic fight scene where I guess they're trying to do. You know, like in the, in the first one, they yeah. have the big climactic fight scene. There's, it's happening in a few different places. Yeah. And while it's happening, um, Jack and Barbosa are kind of talking about the curse mm-hmm. and feeling it out, and they're slowly building up to the reveal that, you know, they have this plan. Jack is taking a coin. Mm. Will's going to drop the coins back in, yeah. etc. It feels like they're trying to do something like that with our two characters figuring out the riddle yes. while they fight. Yes. Except the riddle is just like, what was your goal? My goal to get the trident and break the curses like how how, how could we possibly how do, we that? do that oh we found this this riddle reveals that how we do that is, is if we break it yeah You're it's like, like shocking it's kind of what i would have done anyway yeah but um all right you know also even if you weren't there to break the curse in order to get other people prevent other people from getting their hands on it break it like because mm-hmm. they they did try to do kind of more of the the backstabbing and you know shifting loyalties a little bit more in this one with Barbosa kind of working with Salazar but also trying to be like hey like uh, you know he he took over all my fleets and destroyed them I want revenge on him but I'm working with him to say that I'll get him Jack and then when I go to Jack I'll be like don't worry Jack I'm not working with him like they're kind of building up that you know convoluted backstabbing that they kind of established more so in two and three um and I think the, it, it, the attempt is admirable because you're like, all right, basically, how is everybody connected to the Trident? And it's, it's no matter how thin it is, it's there. So by the time you hit the Trident, you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Everybody's there for a reason and they all want the Trident. And it just doesn't feel as momentous. Um, and it's equally as unclear as, uh, you know, these types of dynamics were uh, in other installments. So it just feels like, oh, already kind of tired. Yeah. For sure. It doesn't feel that relevant by the time you get to the end. I mean, all the good guys are on one side versus Salazar, and you don't really need any of that uh, extra stuff. I know. I feel like we should say something positive about this movie. I'm saving my positive for the end. Uh, I made all these extra miscellaneous notes, and, you know, I'll go through... The positive ones once we cover all the negative stuff. Is there, is there anything else that we should cover? Uh, we should probably cover all the, the pirate stuff. You know, how piratey is it like we normally do? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say first off that there's definitely lots of ships yes. in this one. And I know we like the design of yeah. Salazar's ship in particular. I like the way that it eats the other ships. Uh, I actually wrote down that my favorite shot is when it, it leers up behind Faramir and his ship. Uh, I mentioned, you know, his his death and his crew mm-hmm. going away. It's surprisingly anticlimactic, but the shot itself is great, very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like that his his crew itself, Salazar's crew, has that weird little floaty look. Yeah, yeah. I like the way that when they, they die in the water, you're like, it looks like you're still in the water when you're like a ghost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but like, they... They gave the ship a different design. It's not entirely related to that. They could have stopped at cool-looking villains. It's like they wanted to make sure the whole thing had a lot of creativity to it. So the ship is also crazy in its own way. Yeah. It's all unraveling. I appreciate the ship design, especially in the Pirates movies. It's like you've obviously got the Black Pearl, which is fantastic. And then you have the Flying Dutchman. Like These are iconic ships that they've designed. And... uh, Considering that there aren't a lot of, there are like no ships except for Blackbeards that, and his are kind of, you know, 
you're like, it shoots flames, and that's all I yeah. remember about it. This one in particular, I was like, well done for coming up with another really cool ship design. Yeah. The fifth installment in. You didn't have to go that hard, but you did, and I appreciate it, because it looks really effing cool. Very cool idea. Yeah. I will say, ooh, going off of that really quick... Um, so in the flashback sequence with Salazar, where you get to see a ship kind of blow up and disintegrate and kind of come back into itself, uh, you will note that Jack is on the ship called the Wicked Wench. And if you're thinking, huh, that looks a lot like the Black Pearl, that is because it is. It was the Black Pearl before the Black Pearl, not just in terms of like production, but in story. The, the Wicked Wench burns and sinks to the bottom, and then that is when... Jack makes a deal with Davy Jones to resurrect it, and when it gets resurrected, it is resurrected. It gets a new name. Pearl. Yeah. Yeah. Going off of ships, should we should we talk about our theory about the Black Pearl and the other ships from the end of Stranger Tides? Right. So at the end of Stranger Tides, they have this whole sack of ships, uh, mm-hmm. Jack and Gibbs, and uh, they they also have the Black Pearl with them. Yeah, and they're all trapped in bottles from Blackbeard. Yeah, and, and five now, suddenly they don't have any of the other ships. Jack has the Pearl, and Barbosa now has a whole fleet. So what we're going with maybe is that maybe Barbosa got the sack of ships somehow, and he has all of them now. Yeah, I, I like that idea. I like that in in the first one, Jack is negotiating with Barbosa, being like, teasing him about, be, you know, becoming a Commodore. And he's like, yeah, of course, the grand, you know, ship will be, will be the crown jewel, it'll be yours, but what if, you know, the Black Pearl named me captain? Because um, Jack's always after the pearl. And I, I do like the idea, even though we don't actually know if this is true, we just kind of made it headcanon for ourselves because we're like, where did all those ships go after after the fourth one? Like, And we like the idea of like Barbosa meeting back up with Gibbs and Jack at some point and being like, hey. And they're like, hey, we'll give you these ships all in the bottle, make your own fleet, but leave us the pearl. Which doesn't really work because... Why wouldn't he just, like, resurrect them all at once? I don't know. But that is, like, the the general question is, according to Barbosa, it's been five years between Stranger Tides and this one. He's like, you've been holding onto that ship five years since you got it back from Blackbeard. And yet you haven't been able to resurrect it because, like, apparently you might need Blackboard Blackbeard's sword for it. Which is a which pretty have, good explanation. Which is a good explanation. But it is kind of weird to be like, what is Jack even doing? Because, like, we've talked about in the fourth one, the fourth one is the first time where... Jack is basically choosing immortality over the Pearl. Like, he doesn't seem interested in the Pearl, which is odd because that's been his motivation from the get-go in the original. So it is weird to be like, he's been holding on to this thing for five years and hasn't figured out a way yet to, like, uncork it. Or if he knows, it's surprising that he isn't spending his time going after Barbosa for the sword. Yeah, it's weird. Um... But that is just something to note. But it is exciting to see the Black Pearl before it was the Black Pearl. I feel like that's the one thing in the flashback where, even if you didn't know that that was going to eventually become the Pearl, it is still cool to see, like, oh, this is the ship where it all started for him. And then you're like, wait, no, it's literally the ship. It's just a different name right now. And that is in itself a big ship battle sequence. Um, There's a lot of ship-on-ship stuff happening, even though it's a little more literal this time. You know, the ship's eating the other ships. Yep. (laughs) Nom, 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 nom. (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's a good amount of, of sword fighting and whatnot, like like you said. Um, some mysterious alliances, of course, that sort of thing. Barbosa, I don't know, team, teaming up isn't the right word with, with Salazar, but he's working with Salazar in order to not be killed by Salazar, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you've also, you've got mutinies, um, you've got 
people frantically trying to get to an island and making it there. I know that there was more there was more seafaring this time, but uh, I noted you were still annoyed that there's far too much time spent on land. Look, okay, if you're a pirate, what are you doing on land? You should be actively looking for a ship if you're on land. It's like, why are you stealing a, a land bank? Yeah, why are you stealing a land bank? That makes you a land robber. <laughs> you should be stealing a sea bank. Um, well, <laughs> exactly. touching, touching on the intro, it's interesting that both 4 and 5 start with Jack. Without and, a ship. Yeah, but he's also, it's like, it's an extended land sequence. They're both kind of similar, mm-hmm. and, and they both feel disconnected from the rest of what's happening in the movie. It's, it's like a, a set piece. Yeah, it's like, let's find a new way to introduce Jack on yeah. land. But uh, unlike, it's it's built up over time. Now it's like they're introducing the whole movie, not just Jack. And the first few was always fun to see how Jack would pop up, like in the second one. He pops up out mm-hmm. of a coffin. And the third one, I, I can't really remember. Uh, the third one, he's in Davy Jones's locker when you meet oh, him. That is true. So obviously that's fun in its own way. Uh, by the time you get to this one, like there is that moment of revealing Jack. Uh, he's revealed in in the bank fall when they open it, mm-hmm. which is fun. It's more like the other movies, but they used to just have that introduction and then kind of move on and build up to the bigger stuff later. But in four and five, they they start right with the big action sequence right after they introduce Jack. In this case, the land bank. It's like they're more worried. They're trying to hook the audience in right at the beginning. Like there's no time to to wait for the big stuff to happen. It has to happen right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other ones built up to stuff, and I think that as a result, they're more effective than what's going on here. Yeah. Like, they do spend a lot of time on land in the first one, just to introduce people. Not not for action, not for an action scene. But then they do have a brief uh, land skirmish, but then they immediately head off to sea. I think we talked about the bank stealing. It's it's a fun idea. I don't think it has bad execution, but it yeah. just, it's just kind of there. Uh, once you've gotten over the initial, like, oh, that's crazy, it's a crazy idea. Uh, there isn't a lot going on with the like choreography or mm-hmm. anything like that that's super interesting besides the basic fundamentals of what's going on. Uh, I do think that the guillotine sequence later is a little bit more fun. Yeah, it's it's like, it's just bombastic enough to be like, I was I was getting like Dead Man's Chess vibes. It's it's like a big Wheel of Fortune moment, you know? Yeah, it's, it's still a bit of a try-hard version of that, but it's more effective than some of the other attempts. And it's the first time they've tried it in a while at all, in, in 4 or 5. It's nice that they're giving it a shot, at least. Uh, which ties kind of into us saying this one is more cheesy, mm-hmm. more than the fourth one. Because, well, I appreciate that. It, it comes out, and in these moments, like the guillotine, uh, it does feel more like the original tone of the series. Yeah, it's definitely closer than the fourth one, that's yeah. for sure. It's not, it's not hitting those notes very often. But when it does, it's closer. I think that when 4 is at its most successful, it's actually very different from the yeah. first 3. When this one works the best, it feels more like Pirates 1 through 3, which is nice. Um, we, we also talked about how this, this ties into, since they used uh, Will and Elizabeth in this movie, mm-hmm. continued their story, uh, it's odd because you could kind of skip the fourth movie or like not <laughs> tell a person about the fourth movie. Yeah, you could you could have told someone that the fourth doesn't exist and just like take them and show them one, three, five, like minus four, and they would probably be fine. They they would say it makes sense, you know. This is a logical continuation. Uh, there'd be only a, a few bits of confusion, like what happened to Barbosa's leg. It's yeah, and now like the pearl is apparently in a bottle. Oh yes, and 
also, and Barbosa had already lost his leg before the fourth one. Yeah. So that was confusing anyway. You know, it was never on the screen. But, yeah. I do appreciate, I don't know if I'm just reading into it too much, but I do appreciate, and I wish they had delved more into this with the, the dynamic between Jack and Henry. Like, when Henry first meets Jack, it's a, it's a very nice parallel to when Will first confronts Jack in a cell and agrees to basically, that's the moment where they agree to team up. And it's fun because, like, Jack's still in prison, a Turner is outside of the cell trying to get more information and being like, I need your help to get out of here. And and Will says, do we have an accord? Or Henry says, do you have an accord? And it's it's the same thing that Jack says to Will. And it, it's like those nice little beats and touchstones that they don't really emphasize too much, but it would have been nice if there was a little bit more there just because you're like, if we're rebooting this whole thing as like a generations thing maybe make more references to your your parents along the way in the sense or at least jack commenting on them because he only does it in like one or two instances and it's mainly directed towards elizabeth who like isn't in the movie like it should probably be more connected to will because that stuff does work you like being reminded that this isn't completely different yeah it also helps it feel less weird that will and elizabeth are barely in it at least if their their presence is felt throughout it's it's still about them, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is also the argument of like I I I think Henry is perfectly fine, but I just think he's a poor man's version of Will, and so I wish that they had done slightly different characterization for him. I will say they're a better couple than the two in the fourth <laughs> movie. Yeah, compared to the missionary and the mermaid, if only because you remember them. Well, because the plot is actually about them, which yeah. is nice. I'm in in the spirit of positivity. Mm-hmm. I figured I would look at what else I wanted to say, but the negative stuff first, and then we can talk about all of our favorite bits. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, I will say, off the top of my head, I like the zombie sharks. All this this positivity. Don't waste it's it now. It's stressful. And I really... Uh, we've already talked about how much we like the, the design of Salazar's ship. I will say that I quite enjoy the design of the island and like the whole undersea trident fight. Yeah, it looks nice. It's actually a little more CGI heavy. Yeah, w- with the water and stuff. But I-, I like the idea of it like it could feasibly be a set. Yeah, I really like the the glittery rock portion. Yes, we're we're a fan of Glitter Island for sure. There's not a set that's as quite as impressive as the Fountain of Youth set I, in four. I don't know. Well, yeah. I, well, I guess I just think that's more of an actual set. Right. Uh, it's obvious that this one down to the bottom of the sea is mostly green screen. I thought that, um, oh no, this is a positive note. I have a lot of positive notes. Okay, okay. Uh, I thought Salazar has a pretty good entrance. Uh, that was in the trailer, you remember. Yes. And I, I love the the reference that um, Karina makes to the, the Krakens, the mermaids, and ghosts. She doesn't believe in them, but they've all been featured at some point in previous installments. Of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, I had down the the music is pretty rehashed. Mm. Obviously, it's it's competent across the board, but unlike the fourth one, where I, I noticed a few spots uh, of good new material, like for the mermaid material, mm-hmm. there's very little in this one that I remember. Yeah, they they do recycle the Will and Elizabeth theme from three for Henry, which is like thematically really sweet, but like kind of also annoying it's like why can't he and karina just have their own love theme if we're trying to make them different from will and elizabeth it's pretty emblematic of the whole the whole movie you know the music feels like it's recycling itself at this point mm. uh just like the rest of it yeah <laughs> all right yeah another note i had uh-huh. uh even for being 
drunk, uh, playing yes. drunk. Johnny's playing real broad <laughs> yeah. in the opening scene. Uh, and you were saying, you know, this is the opening scene is the worst example of Jack, which is true because it's also like it's the silliest Jack, and Johnny Depp is doing the drunk Jack. But the problem with that is that we've seen drunk Jack before, and, and he doesn't quite look like that, you know. He... He's different. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's he's a changed man in those five years. That's true. It covers so many uh, things, that time jump. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, okay, there's a lot of notes about retcons in general. We, we sort of covered that. Um, Me just being grumpy about retcons. And you know what? That's not to completely invalidate retcons. Sometimes you need to do that for a story. I'm just saying that it just doesn't even feel like it was considered. Which is, I mean, complicated by the fact that the original canon is confusing, but it's like, don't make it more confusing by telling us to ignore parts of it. I'll tell you what, we, we already covered pretty much all the actual substantial bad stuff, so I'll just say the good stuff now. Yay! We've been waiting for that. <laughs> well, first of all, it says, uh, they said the title of the movie in the movie, and we always love to hear that. We do. We love to um, hear it. Yeah, and it was right before the title card was shown, which is just extra perfect. Mm. Um, now, also, uh, earlier in the movie, uh, it says a man was shown, and he said, Sir, I believe that's your wife. Yeah, to Zedekus Zul Zarander. Yes, yes. <laughs> for all you Legend of the Seeker fans out there. <laughs> that was this guy's one line. Uh, he really nailed the line, so I think he was a good extra. He, he earned that paycheck, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, there's another note. It says, uh, Scrum's still here, the return of Scrum. Oh my god, that's what the subtitle should have been. It should have been, Pirate Babies, the return of Scrum. You know, he's actually in it uh, for a while, so it's a bit sad that you didn't remember I he was know. there at all. I know. Uh, but, he, you know, he had a good time. Uh, oh, that one dwarf from The Hobbit is here, too. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Adam. Adam, uh, Adam Brown, what I think. Yes, Adam name? Brown. Uh, now, probably the most important note I have is that Gibbs is mm. perfect in every movie. Oh, he's the real star. He's my MVP again. He should be everybody's MVP from, like, three onward. And he's just always, always right and always perfect. It's like the polar opposite of what we're talking about with <laughs> Jack throughout the movies. Yeah, Gibbs is like your anchor. Uh, nautical pun intended. <laughs> Plus, uh, Gibbs is, is involved in the best scene, <laughs> best scene in the movie. Where, um, yeah. Oh my God, so yeah, great. He sees the British Navy are coming, so <laughs> he, he decides he's going to hand off the captaincy to Scrum. Because he knows that, that whoever's in captain you know, is in charge and yeah. going to get beat yeah. up. And uh, in the midst of Scrum saying... It's like the meanest cut I've ever seen in Pirates. It's yeah. so funny. It makes me laugh. I love it so much, I will be sure to link it in our extras. That's how much I love this scene. He says it's the, the happiest or the proudest it's like, yeah, it's like moment, the proudest moment of, his, of life. his life, right before he's horribly beat up. It just cuts to him getting beat up, and then the look on Gibbs' face, who's like tied up with the rest of the crew, kind of looking at him, and it's just like, kind of like a shrug, like, oh, I feel bad, but not too bad. Because <laughs> it's time. not me. It's amazing. It really brought me back, you know. It's, it's my favorite. The finest moments mm. in Pirates history. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> All right, and another note. Uh, it, yeah. says, it says basically here that Barbosa has a great costume. Uh, it's extremely elaborate at this point, so. That is, the, there's so much color with Barbosa's crew. It's really fun to designate them as, like, they are clearly pirates, but in terms of costuming, they're, like, the whole thing is they're well-off pirates. That's why they're kind of fighting Salazar's, because, like, their way of life with the amount of, you know, intake they're getting from this fleet that Barbosa is now controlling has been severely depleted. <laughs> I mean, completely ridiculous that our silly duo is there from the first one, but I've always liked them. I do like your odd number theory, though. I didn't even think about that. That's, like, fantastic. I enjoy them, so. 
It's like, it feels almost as if, like, oh, we couldn't get Rigetti and Pintel because of either scheduling or they just didn't really want them there. So, like, to compensate, they got these guys back. Which, you know, it's not the same, but it is still fun to see them kicking around. Ah, there's a scene where they trick Karina into telling them more about the map by threatening to throw Henry overboard. Ugh, threatening to kill him, which is not fun. That's a that's a real thing. Well, I like that scene. It had the, the charm of the older movies, I guess. Maybe, like, a little bit more blunt and obvious, but yeah. yeah. I mean, even, like, Jack is not as sharp as funny as he would be in the older movies, but the whole crew is there to compensate, and, and they're all contributing, mm-hmm. and they have a pretty good dynamic, so it's funny, and it's kind of, like, innocently funny. It's odd, because of the vibe of pirates up to this point, you know that they're not going to actually be uh, kill-hauling him. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's the thing, and I would I would imagine that's actually a tricky thing of Jack as a character is once you realize he's never going to intentionally kill someone like unintentionally kill someone like he's not a murderer he's going to uh, try and talk his way out of a situation rather than fight it is hard to come up with circumstances where it really feels like there are stakes like he could actually do something bad particularly in regards to Henry when he's like we're gonna throw him overboard and do this to him you're like well obviously you're not uh, I was happy for Javier Bardem to get mm. to show his real face mm-hmm. once during the flashback scene. Yeah, he looked good. He looked <laughs> real good. <laughs> he didn't need enough to spend his five hours in the CGI chair that morning. I believe it took him three hours for makeup, actually. Oh, did he actually have makeup? Yeah, yeah, he had makeup. Oh. Um, the hair is CGI. So, yeah, so it was like three hours of makeup, and then they pulled mm-hmm. back his hair and did that later. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, there's parts where they take out chunks of his face and stuff. But yeah, he, he was there. I, I assume drooling black drool. Yeah, so. I, well, I just figured he could he could do all that with a look. Mm. You, know, <laughs> you, you already stole this from me, but the zombie sharks, I noted, they're, they're fun. Mm. Not just the design, but I think the whole scene's a pretty good scene. Uh, Jack and Henry in the boat trying to get away. They, they have a good dynamic in that scene. It also just feels like, you know, something that's like quintessentially Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, this fits the franchise. I can't see, like, zombie sharks popping up anywhere else where it doesn't feel like a ripoff of this particular franchise. Like, yet it still felt like, despite the fact that they're zombies, it still felt fresh enough an idea where you're like, yeah, yeah, this is this is a thing in this world. Yeah. Uh, I'm forgetting, is it Henry who loops the rope around the shark? It's Jack. Okay, it's Jack. That's that's better then. Yeah, Henry's in the water. <laughs> we we did make a joke about the shark jet skis. And it's like, <laughs> is Jack power steering the shark or has he jumped the shark? Long point. ago, yeah. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is good because that's the rare moment where um, it's probably why it feels like cl- classic pirates, more classic, is that Jack gets to express the different sides of himself. He gets to have that sort of humorous cowardice that he does, but also demonstrate his quick way out of situations, like his resourcefulness, mm, mm-hmm. which is like not that present in this movie, but it's pretty fundamental to the character. Uh, but that scene that's most of the positive things on my list oh there's a scene here where jack and barbosa talk about his daughter because jack clearly has figured it out uh, that was a pretty good scene uh, it wasn't as good as their scenes together in four but those are some real highlights and mm. it was still pretty close to that it was nice to see also a scene with a lot of subtext again uh, they're not directly talking you know about daughter the whole time they're sort of talking around it a bit yeah you obviously know it's kind of surprising to see these sorts of scenes in a movie that isn't going for that kind of thing most of the time but it's nice but uh jack and robosa their dynamic is always pretty much a winner so no matter what you do it's it's hard to mess it up 
that's that's pretty much the good stuff I have here. Uh, I do think Barbosa's death is effective in its way. It's less effective than it could be, probably, but overall, I, I like the way it happens, at yeah, least. Yeah, he goes out like a badass. Yeah, well, he gets to take out the villain, which is it's nice. And sometimes you have, like, a noble sacrifice where someone stays behind to hold them off or something, but he gets more than that, you know? He gets the full, the full-on treatment. Yeah, he's like, I held him off, and I killed the dude. Yeah, well, he took him down. He took him down. He took him down, yeah. yeah. I like it. I mean, this is kind of Barbosa's movie, in a way. It is. It's becoming, the more we talk about, the more I'm just like, I mean, the emotional core is really more directed towards him in terms of the new characters um, than anything related to Jack. And you do get left, after all that, feeling somewhat happy if you have an attachment to the older movies when they show you the uh, the Will and Elizabeth scene. It doesn't really feel connected to everything else, but it's like, it's like a nice little reward for having to watch this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is also weird to be like... Um, <laughs> I think I looked this up. So the the actor who plays uh, Henry Turner, their child, is only four years younger than Keira Knightley and only 12 years younger than Orlando Bloom. And so I remember when, you know, she pops up over the hill and you're just like, damn, Elizabeth is taking care of herself. Like she and like I felt the same way about Orlando Bloom as well. Like when he popped up and like he has really long hair and he like hugs Henry and he's like up on the hill and I'm like, oh fuck yeah he's back <laughs> like there is something really like intrinsically satisfying being like obviously they're both older they're not as old as they should be um to have a child this age but like it's just so nice to see them on screen together even though like they literally don't have much to do with the movie at all i think it just like kind of drives point the home that like they work so well compared to all the other couples that have been introduced in this franchise. Although I can't help thinking it might be more effective if you didn't have that opening scene with Orlando in it. <laughs> I mean, that would save me from all my ranting about the Flying Dutchman curse and him being bad at his job and or, you know, Elizabeth being unfaithful. I mean, that would still be the plot, though. Yeah, yeah, but I think the fact of just seeing it annoyed me because it is out of character. Because, like, if okay, if we're led to believe how the curse works, it is out of character for him not to just do his job ferrying the souls. So there's no reason for him to look like this. Yeah, well, you could you could even do kind of a double reveal if you didn't include Orlando, mm. uh, where you don't know who Henry is at first. Um, obviously, you'd want to reveal it pretty quickly because yeah. it would be obvious, but, like, you know, what's up with you, Henry? Oh, I'm trying to break a curse. That's what I'm trying to do. Well, like, why are you trying to break a curse? Oh, because of my dad, who you may know as Will Turner from yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean, you know? <laughs> it would probably be more satisfying at the end of having to save the experience the appearances like exclusively for the end i'm sure that they were thinking you know kieran eiley's surprise appearance at the end it would be silly to just try to do that same thing twice or two people at the same time but i think the real question is would it be silly i think it would work are you kidding i'd be there for it yeah but anyway yeah this is a i mean it's so weird to talk about it like this isn't an end of an era and yet it sounds like they'll still keep going with it i think if they make anything in the future it'll be even more disconnected than this which means we'll have very little resemblance. I know that there there has been some talk because um, I, I imagine circumstances are slightly different now in regards to Johnny Depp and his career, but there have been talk about how do we make a Pirates movie potentially without Jack. Um, and this was all before all the legal issues, but it's it's strictly from a budget point of view. It's like we would save like $90 million if Jack wasn't in it. Um, so it is interesting in terms of, you know, having this kind of be 
the intent of it being a soft reboot, but also the end of a franchise and treating it like the end of the franchise. And then also wondering, well, where do they go from here in terms of, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean as a whole? And what does that entail? Because you've, you've had a, a couple shots at it now, and it's clear that there's some diminishing returns. But it's like, what is it going to take to reinvigorate the franchise, or should you just let it go and maybe try something else? I think the problem is, in a way, they've already taken this step of what is Pirates now. When they made the fourth one, if you're asking, what is Pirates? The answer is, it is Jack Sparrow, basically. Without him, it's just a movie about Pirates in one way or another. Yeah, so you might be able, like, you might as well be able to make a completely different series. Yeah, I think this was slightly less true before when there were only three movies. Pirates was Jack, but it was also Will and Elizabeth, and it was also the specific tone and the look and the music and everything else that, that Gore Verbinski put together. Mm-hmm. As soon as they tried to make two more without lots of those people and they didn't have Will and Elizabeth, all of that was no longer consistent. You can no longer say that that's true of all of them. Now, the only thing that's true of all of them is you have Jack Sparrow. And Gibbs. And Gibbs. Yeah, Thinking Gibbs. about Gibbs, man. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying to them is they can make a sixth movie without Jack, but they have to include Gibbs. Or yes. or does at this point the only thing that makes it a pirates movie is Jack. For better or for worse. So therefore, you can totally make one, but the only way people will know what it is is because that's what you put on the title. It's kind of pointless. I mean, if you, if you make a good pirates movie, a movie about pirates, that is, and it's able to sell more because it has the title Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, good for you. I that is a really curious thought. I am. I mean, because we are kind of, unless, you know, they make another one, we are tentatively wrapping up Pirate Parlay right now with this final episode, is the tentative final installment of this franchise, and just what it means to be a modern pirate movie, and it's like, can you make a good pirate movie without it already being something like, uh, you know, a film, an established film franchise from the early 2000s, or an established ride, like Disneyland Park Ride, like, can you make, outside of Disney, can you make a pirate movie and have it become successful. It seems unlikely. As we've talked about, it seems as if this problem has come out many times in many different decades. People have figured out a way to do it. I would say that in the 2010s, they did not figure out a way to do it. They tried to coast on the way they figured out how to do it in the previous decade, but that didn't work. And any other attempts like the movie Pan did mm. not pan out, <laughs> apparently. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully someone will figure out how to do it in this new decade because they definitely didn't crack it last time. I think maybe go for a different source material don't go for the pirates of the caribbean don't go for peter pan go for something else maybe don't go for treasure island like Have i don't an original know idea uh, maybe try and come up with an, an original idea guys it's hard and i know that people are you know studios in particular are um shy away from it but it might be the thing that cracks the code for a modern pirate adventure moving forward in this decade and beyond. We'll see. We'll see. But, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of all we got. Anything else? No. All right. I guess let's wrap it up. This has been Vicky. This is Camden. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. If you guys liked our show, please let us know. 
you can rate and review us on Apple Podcast. And also feel free to contact us on our main website. That one is grumpyoctopusproductions.com. Then I'll link you up to all of our social media. You can follow us on Twitter and or like us on Facebook. And you can reach out to us at our email account. That is grumpyoctopusproductions at gmail.com. I think we're sensing a bit of a trend here. (laughs) Um, Also on the website, you guys can check out all of our episode and production notes and fun little extras as well. So, as always, thanks for listening, loyal listeners. Alrighty, signing off.